The following production is part of the We Be Geeks Podcast Collective. Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Produced with podcasting gear from Tascam. Trust your audio to Tascam. Sound thinking. Discover your geeky haven with Toink.com. We've been delivering you the best products and all things pop culture for more than 20 years. Enjoy a wide selection of officially licensed merch from your favorite fandoms. We carry top brands from Disney, Funko, Marvel, and DC, Star Wars, Harry Potter, and much, much more. We also offer an array of exclusives that you won't find anywhere else. With all these collectible goods, you're definitely going to need a bigger boat. Dive in with code WINGEEKS15 to save 15% off your first order at toink.com. Forgive the interruption, but I believe this requires your attention. Meanwhile, at the above-ground underwater suborbital volcano lair... Sergeant, we need a response team. We're already putting together the best move. With all due respect, sir, so am I. I have a plan. <laughs> it's real! Mighty Marvel Geeks. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Team? No, no, no. We're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're, we're a time bomb. Well then, son, you've got a condition. Your show about all things Marvel with Mike, Kylan, and Eric. What a bunch of losers. I am group. That I did know. These people may be isolated, unbalanced even, but I believe with the right push... I have indeed been uploaded, gentlemen, online and ready. And welcome to another issue of Marvel Geeks. Which way do we go? Um, it, it is the intrepid trio, Kylan, Eric, and myself, Mike. How are you guys doing? Good, good exhausted i i hear you no i just finished watching werewolf by night and i am exhausted from watching it oh man yeah and we're gonna be talking about it what a fortuitous coincidence yes mm-hmm. uh check out the homepage mightymarvelgeeks.net the right hand side uh has our affiliates like bitty boomers uh use code WeBeGeeks, all one word for 15 percent off your purchase um hey i got a broadcast boom so i can do this while letting the dog out well now we know and knowing it's half the battle. The other half is red lasers and blue lasers. Okay, red yeah. lasers. Um, but with Benny Boomers? I was boomers? actually thinking you were the one that let the dogs out. Oh, there's that too. <laughs> it's just the one dog. <laughs> um, but use the, uh, like I said, use the code WeBeGeeks, all one word, 15% off your purchase, uh, which is great. Or if you really got to have it right now, your Sam, your local Sam's Club may have the eight inch spider-man bitty boomer which i think this weekend it's five dollars off so just uh just saying um the like i said if you go to their website there's a lot of great 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 uh 
Marvel bitty boomers out there. Also, too, use code WINGEEKS15, just like you heard uh, before our intro, uh, for toink.com. And hey, we're going to be doing a joint contest with Wookiee Radio and Weeby Geeks for Star Wars Life Day. Why? Because, well, Star Wars is a Marvel property comic book-wise. And two years ago, they did a Life Day comic. Yes. Right. I remember right. Which I have, which is great comic. Um, but we're going to be doing a Life Day giveaway. Uh, we're still working on details. Uh, we still got a few weeks before it launches. Uh, but we're going to be doing a Life Day giveaway with Toink. Uh, it's going to be one major prize. And then I think maybe, I don't know how many... Uh, there's a grand prize and then a couple, maybe a little bit more um, like runner up style type prizes. So, uh, like I said, we're still working on details, but there will be a big grand prize with that. And it's going to be across all shows. So the more you enter across all three shows, the more entries you get. Or you can throw all your, your eggs in the basket for just one show. Just fine, too. Mm-hmm. Just it's saying. your eggs. Your eggs. Yeah. Um, do what you want to do. We can't tell you who to give them to. But we also do the the pick of the week from Toink, our our Toink pick of the week. And I went with something. I saw this. Of course, I did my pick right before show. Once I realized, hey, it's my turn. Um, (laughs) Y'all remember that nice little, was it the Wakanda Files book? Yeah. That we got. Remember one of the cool things that came with it? The bead? The the uh, Kimoyo bead? Yeah. Well, I have chosen for the pick of the week from Toink because Black Panther's coming soon and the world premiere was this week as we're recording. Uh, I believe it was the day before we recorded this week. Um, the Marvel Black Panther Emoyo Bead Bracelet in blue or with the blue stone uh, collectible movie accessory. Cool. Because I, I had to tie it into the book. I love the book. And you know, I still have a, a book for us to give away. I think may, the book may be the, the book and the Ant-Man and Wasp uh, pop mini keychains, Funko pop mini keychains that I have may be for our giveaway for our 400th episode. Oh, okay. I, which, which is appropriate considering we got Ant-Man and Wasp coming soon and we got Black Panther coming out real soon. Mm-hmm. These would be great, great giveaways to go with that, especially since both are making headlines. And right. this issue right now, as we're recording, this is three ninety five. Three ninety five. Wow. Three ninety five. So about five weeks have that giveaway or five more issues. We'll have that giveaway. Mm-hmm. We'll launch that giveaway. So you could potentially have it time for Christmas or Hanukkah yeah. or Kwanzaa. So some great options. I know you guys. Awesome. Like, I know you guys love the book. I yeah yeah. I love the book. Um, we I mean, won- there was so much, and, and like the things that were re- revealed with the with the Kamoyo bead. Oh, like it, it, like j- just the sheer information. But before you use the bead, the information is in there alone oh, yeah. was just amazing. Oh, yeah. Um, it's because of that book is the only interview request or publisher that we've had shot down by Marvel. Mm-hmm. That's the one. And we're not upset about it. No. <laughs> we actually was like, OK, did we submit the wrong questions for this? Are we getting too close to home or I mean or did that guy I don't even think the guy showed I mean I didn't see any uh well it, it was interviews with him unless he did uh the Marvel Mar- Marvel Comics. I don't one. I don't know if he did any interviews, actually. I just think it's funny. The questions we asked, we may have we may have 
being kind of green on the publishing side of well, they they want because we don't usually have prepared questions we had to do prepared questions so maybe it was broken mistake on that aspect uh that we're like maybe we we're asking questions that were directly to the mcu that he couldn't answer because he just only had the information of what was there i don't remember but it's a book in regards to the mcu so how could we not ask mcu related questions right we weren't asking about future projects we were asking about stuff as it tied into the book yeah but apparently those answers even though they were specific to what we were talking about in the book apparently had some bearing on things that were coming down the road and who knows how far that uh, how, how far down the road that goes you know i get the feeling that wakanda is about to play a really big role in the uh in the mcu not just for this movie either right well we we know just by some of the well just by the target commercials alone wakanda plays a this is where for the mcu it's retcon slightly but it we we see um we see how wakanda affects riri williams Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, the wakanda tech is, is is the majority of the the inspiration with a little Tony Stark, but it's mainly Wakanda Tech. Right. Which I'm okay with that. Oh, yeah. Well, it reinforces Tony's uniqueness. Right. And in a way, Wakanda is going to be the tech source for the MCU post-Tony Stark. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've, we've seen it. We've seen it seen it pretty much on full display there with Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yep, exactly. I was just thinking that. So it makes sense. We have discussed we have discussed Riri MCU Riri on this podcast before. And I'm glad if if this is to, if this is her taking Wakandan tech and adapting it. Now, if she wanted to have like a uh, you know she she wanted to be the next Iron Man. I can see that being inspired by Tony Stark slash Iron Man using mm-hmm. Wakanda tech to become like him. Mm-hmm. Yes. Or to have a suit like his. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because the this is something that I really don't care about with the comics because Tony Stark, I, I hate to echo the first Avengers movie. It's kind of like you take away that suit. What have you got? Well, yes, he is a philanthropist. He is a, a He's a genius. He's an inventor. That's all well and good. But what makes him a superhero is that suit. Right. In the comics, how many other geniuses have put together Iron Man style armor suits? That's how we get armor wars. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. We got armor wars in part because Spymaster stole the the secrets of the Iron Man construction Mm -hmm. and sold them to Justin Hammer. Mm-hmm. So now you've got all these other characters running around with Star- with Stark-derived armor. Mm-hmm. But you also had other characters that developed their own. Right, right. But here in the MCU, Stark's the only one that has done this. Mm-hmm. With, with the somewhat exception of Whiplash. Right. I would hate to see that uniqueness go away. Mm-hmm. Because it kind of undermines what he was to the first three phases. Right. Right. Well, I thought it was okay. I mean, yeah, Armor Wars, 
is when, as you said, Spymaster Hammer connection happens. So I, I didn't mind in Iron Man 2 that they kind of jumped it a little bit by using Whiplash. Uh, he, he's a gearhead as well, ends up making his own outfit with, with the the electro whips which i thought that whole thing was cool that was cool with mickey work and all that um but the whole um having him make the armor and the armor turns into more drones than armor which had upset hammer i i like that little twist to the okay so it's not spy master it's it's whiplash mm-hmm. and he ends up giving hammer drones instead of armor mm-hmm I mean, y'all don't get me wrong. If you're listening to this and say I'm, I'm anti-Riri or anything like that, no, that is totally bogus. It's not true. It's just Tony creations from scratch. Mm-hmm. She's, she's brilliant. Riri is brilliant. I think it just makes more sense for her to utilize Wakandan technology to create one mm-hmm. rather than, oh, well, I developed my own arc reactor in my basement. It Right. Again, it just kind of kills the uniqueness right it does it i mean you know and the thing is you already know i mean i kind of like i kind of feel like that in a way they they had passed the torch from from tony to peter but then you know um realities went nuts and no peter is now pretty much comic accurate peter so we don't have that anymore because he doesn't even have that uh he doesn't even have that technology with him anymore, you know. Um, I, I kind of feel like it's, it's it's good to see, you know, it, it's sort of like they did with they did with uh, Tony what they did with uh, Steve, like you know, Steve is like at legend status now. Yeah. He 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 did what he did, and you know that's his story. Sam now and now it's time for Sam to tell to make his own story. It doesn't take away from Steve. You know, and I think that, you know, with uh, with Tony, Tony did what he did. And, you know, what he he saved mankind or humankind. He saved this the the world as we know it, the universe as we know it. He did. So now let's, you know, he's finished his story, but there's going to always be a place in Marvel, in that Marvel universe for high tech heroes. Now true, we got the we got the war machine armor still still out there. But you know, I I, I like you. I, I to me it would make sense that things would if we're if we're needing tech, it's gonna move from Stark Industries over to Wakanda. I, I to me it just makes sense that that's what would happen. And if you take that reread saying, you know what, Tony Stark's gone, but the world still needs an Iron Man. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, you know, it was kind of like the rationale for the U.S. agents. It's kind of like, you know, the world needs Captain America. Mm-hmm. Right. The world needs a Batman. The world needs a Superman. Mm-hmm. That and so forth. So, right. yes, I think if you frame it within that perspective, it's kind of like the world needs a successor to Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Why not use Wakandan technologies? Why not, if you're Riri, why not? Be that successor. Exactly. Be the change that you want in the world. There you go. Exactly. You know, if and if you have access to next level technology uh, to help bring about that change, all the better. I mean, joking. What was was Vulture really that bad in the beginning? Because he tried to utilize the tech 
in order to get job done to feed his family, feed his crew, provide for his crew, all because you know he was told, "Sorry, this is even though you had a contract, this you no longer have contract." I mean, a sympathetic villain. Yes. Yeah. Very much. So, um, did we mention that we take tangents on this show? <laughs> not this particular episode. We have not. Hey, we go on tangents on this show. Gentlemen, it's time for the Fantastic Four takeaways. Sending to your screens now. Number four. Uh, I guess she wants us to get right into Werewolf by Night. Because and this is the show before Halloween. Yeah. Um, I'm going to start us off this week. If y'all are okay with that. Uh, I don't do that often. Um, you never do that. This is true. My number four really isn't number four. It's actually higher on the list, but I want to say it before my thunder gets taken away. (laughs) Man thing. What a gorgeous costume. It's not CGI. It is an actual practical costume. And the gentleman who, who was Persantin in Book of Boba Fett is the gentleman inside that costume of Ted, the man thing. You can call him by his first name. Ted. Ted. <laughs> Theodore Salas, to be specific. He, he he's the he's the gentleman inside the costume of Ted. And I loved it. To to know that the man thing was <laughs> practical effect. Mm-hmm. Absolutely mind blowing. Yes. Yeah. And while you're while you're on the subject, I, I have one that was close to it, but it's basically just it whenever you saw him basically disintegrate somebody. That just that a line from the comics just kept running through my head. Those who know fear burn at the man things touch. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that really wasn't one. But I just I'm just I'm, I'm tagging on with you on that because, yes, <laughs> man thing was easily one of the best parts of that show. Like I said, it's not truly my number four. But since I was going first, I had to make it my number four because I didn't want my thunder stolen. <laughs> and in that outfit was just way too good to to deserve. It, it, it had to be mentioned right away. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah, realistically, no, my number four, um, Thursday, if you would, please. Number one. My number one. It's in the number four slot. Honestly, I don't know that we ever really have these in any particular order. No. Right. But usually we save the best for last, but I couldn't save the best for last. I had no, to could, I had to go. Couldn't save that one for last. No. So Eric, you're number four. I am gonna follow your lead. This is not my number four. This is actually my number one, but I can't hold it in any longer. Number one. Thank you, Thursday. We will talk about the CGI. We will talk about the practical effects. We will talk about the the black and white monster movie vibe. Oh, so but what we really need to be talking about, the music and the sound. Yeah. Yes. Because yes. the music was, I, I put on these headphones while I was watching it, and I was kind of like, oh, my God, I'm getting goosebumps. Sound. Who did the sound? Michael Giacchino. Who directed this? Michael Giacchino. What is the greatest Pixar soundtrack ever made? The Incredibles, done by Michael Giacchino. <laughs> The music, I think, the music ties all this stuff together. Mm-hmm. I cannot say enough good things about that music, about that sound. Right. And not just the the music that he chooses, not just mm-hmm. the orchestral score, the songs. Yes. 
there is a song that is playing on the phonograph while they are in the garden. It's called Wishing Will Make It So. Yep. That sounds like the exact same version that is being played in the background music loop to Tower of Terror. Oh. I mean, it, it sounds like the exact same version. And yeah. that that put the hairs up my uh, up my neck on that. Hmm. You got mm-hmm. it. You've got me intrigued to find out who the uh, sound designer was. Um, no, the the guy who did the the score for this was Michael Giugino. Yeah, but the the sound engineer was Dan Abrams. Okay. The assistant was Danielle Adams. Okay. Uh, sound effects editor was Ian Chase. Sound designer was Josh Gold. Hmm. This thing needs an Emmy for sound design. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Um. Josh Gold is also known for doing. See, this is this is the realm. See, I was going to touch on this as well because this is this is my life. I know. I'm sorry. I still. Oh no, no, no! You didn't steal my thunder. My thunder was. I, I, I was all about man thing. Um, Josh Gold, sound designer for Werewolf by Night, sound designer for Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery, sound designer for Luck, um, sound effects editor for Eternals and Black Widow. Sound designer for Extraction. Sound effects editor for Onward. Um, sound effects editor for Avengers Endgame and Infinity War. Sound effects editor for Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. Sound effects editor for Doctor Strange, Captain America Civil War, Ant-Man, um, Winter Soldier, Thor The Dark World, Iron Man 3, uh, Tron Legacy, How to Train Your Dragon, Last Airbender, Ghost in the Shell 2, Assistant Supervising Sound Editor. So, I mean, he started office his very first sound design was a short called favors that was back in 2004 so probably an independent film and then worked his way into doing sound assistant sound effects and sound effects editor roles with his latest uh his three four biggest sound design projects sing to luck Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery, and Werewolf by Night. But you heard the resume of what he had done. Yes. It's no slack. Right. Uh, no. And, and he works out of Skywalker Sound. That's- I'm telling you right here, right now, everybody who worked on the music and the sound is not getting the credit that they deserve. No. No. Because, no. I mean, if you just put, if you put any other kind of music underneath that, it doesn't have the same effect. Yeah. No, no, it doesn't. It just no, doesn't. No. I mean, Josh, that- Josh working with Michael, uh, some great stuff. You know, part of the job as a sound designer is to work in conjunction with your director, your producer of what do you want? I mean, it's the same thing with sound design for Guardians of the Galaxy with James Gunn. He's going to come at you with, I want these songs in the movie. Figure out the best options to put in the film. But here's your, here's your staple songs and the one and I'm... I'm guessing with all this, because this is something I would expect to happen with me. If I was a sound designer, I would get, I would either be asking which ones are vital to be in the film and which ones are, if I can make them work great, if they can't work, they're out the door. I I need to know priorities of which songs have to be in. Um, And on that, on that note, you would think you would not think rather that over the rainbow. Yeah. Something that has to be worked in. But that was your perfect transition mm-hmm. moment. It was. It what was. is Wizard of Oz known for? Going from black and white to color. Right. And honestly, you could not have well, chosen a better piece of music to transition from black and white to color in there. 
Well, and with Wizard of Oz, you went black and white to color, back to black and white. The dream sequence was all color. Yes. Right. So here, we're getting the events of the evening in black and white. So was it a dream sequence? Maybe, maybe not. You know, it was most likely. It's actually, no, it's reality. Yeah. Hmm. But But, it's no longer the monster movie. But it's told in a way of like a Ripley's Believe It or Not. Did this really happen or did it not? And then with Over the Rainbow, somewhere over the rainbow, it changes to color. You're like, okay, now we're into the reality of things. And yeah, it did happen. And it was also a great way of hiding some of the gruesomeness as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it was. Because I, you know, being a a wrestling fan, the, for a while, um, I want to say during the Attitude Era with the WWE, in that same time period in WCW, whenever wrestlers would be bleeding too much on t- not on pay-per-view but on regular TV mm-hmm. they would switch to a black and white filter yeah just to cut down on the gruesomeness of the of the blood right but because for whatever reason black and white makes it less creepy yeah but you'll notice the bloodstone stayed in color throughout the whole thing yeah it did yeah to me i I the last movie I saw that does, does something similar with the color red through the whole black and white sequence was Schindler's List, and I kind of had that. I, I kind of felt that type of vibe a little bit with it as well. It's like okay, I, I or I was made, because that's the last movie I remember seeing black and white that the only color was red. I was trying to figure out how they were potentially tying in a a parallel, if there was. I was trying to make a parallel to Schindler's List. And, may, and maybe it was because of the horror, and red was the one color to stand out mm-hmm. that slowly brought you into a reality. Right. There was a red rose, there was the girl's red jacket, a bunch of other red stuff that would pop up off and on Schindler's List. And of course, here we have the stone is the main red. And even when it illuminated, you did not see any red illumination on the characters. Mm-mm. Nope. Which I thought was brilliant as well. Right. So I thought that was cool. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I went deep. <laughs> All right. I tend to, we tend to do that at times on this show as well. Just a bit. So, Kylan, you're number four. Uh, mine, uh, my number four is uh, the nod to comic accurate gore. Um, yeah, if you look in the, the entrance, like the, the entrance to the chamber where, uh, Bloodstone's body is, where the hunters all meet, um, there is a lithograph, I guess you call it on, on one of the walls. And it looks like if, when you look at it, it is comic accurate. Gore, uh, the God Butcher, which okay. I thought I, I thought that was interesting that that, and I don't know if there was any intent behind that, but that was interesting that you saw that uh, that that was something that was, and there's a couple of shots where it's pretty prominently featured, you know, now, for you to see about it. The murals on the hallway that look like a medieval tapestry. Right? Yes, yes, yeah. Okay. okay, I know what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, that was my number four. Okay. Number three. Um, my number three. When we see Elder Bloodstone, the way the casket and everything is set, how it's like up on end and then the door opens. Anyone catch the nod that was being done there? Mm-mm. Steve Rogers, after he gets his super serum, it's almost set at the same angle 
as that pod when they open it up to reveal. Okay. All right. I'm, okay. Buff. It's just, I, but I love the fact that it had to be hand cranked. The whole thing was hand cranked right. the whole time. It's almost like you were expecting the, the old pop ghost, the weasel to start cranking. Yeah. Right. But I thought it was funny that even during the whole recording, the butler is still cranking the entire time. <laughs> like, this is cool. This is awesome. Well, it, here's the thing. It looks like, and this I, I'm sure was intentional. You don't see really much in the way of modern tech Mm-mm. in this whole, really in the whole black and white sequence. This could be happening modern day. This could be happening a hundred years ago. Yeah. And the hand crank just adds to that. Well, you know, in the tomb, there is somebody who died, I believe, around, I think it's like 1984, 1986. Yeah. So it is. I mean, it is modern, but until that point. Right. You it see, could be. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, is it still 1984 or 85? I mean, no, because it talks about it being the time uh the same time as the heroes so you have steve rogers who in the mcu his first appearance was 2000 is it 2008 2009 9 or 10 yeah so you know it is you know well the avengers takes time. place in 2012 yeah right so i mean that they're they're playing fast and loose with with time because it's done in an old timey etching kind of way right it's not being portrayed in a modern setting or a modern format Mm -hmm. so they could just be jumping around from time to time and just as these things do but yes so it makes sense that doing the hand cranked casket Mm -hmm. just just kind of helps set that vibe i mean if he flipped the switch and it was running off electricity well kind of ruins that especially since Mm -hmm. it's a homage to the old monster movies. Yeah. That was right. set in olden times, mm-hmm. like Victorian times or turn of the century, right. stuff like that. So to me, it just kind of further, further sells that it could be any time. Right. Mm. Including the, this end up on the back of the coffin. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, th- I thought that was, that funny. was great. That was great. So, uh, Kylan, you're number three. Uh, one of the things that I, that really kind of sat well with me about this was the seamless cinematography, um, along with like the, the feel of it being a feeling like the, the monster movies from the thirties, forties, fifties, uh, you get the little pops, you know, uh, on the screen from time to time. And it was, uh. You know, if you didn't know any better, you would think that this was an old movie. Um, and uh, and and especially like that one, the one scene where uh, Jack, you know, has changed, and you know, there's he's attacking the guards in the in the in the little uh, hallway there as the door's closing. And that was all done in one shot. Yeah. And, you know, that type of, I don't, I don't know, it just added to the off the charts quality of uh, of this special. Um, but yeah, it's just the overall cinematography was just phenomenal to me. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to throw in my number three, which is going to take off on yours, Mike. 
thought you did your number three. I apologize. No, that's okay. That's okay. I remembered my number. One of us was paying attention. One of us is doing no. too many jobs. <laughs> <laughs> as much as as they pulled inspiration from the classic horror movies, you know, of the fifties, the forties, the thirties, I'm calling it. They also pulled some inspiration from the seventies, particularly Young Frankenstein. Yes. Mm-hmm. This whole thing with the Ulysses corpse in a in a hand cranked casket. Yes, that had a such a serious young Frankenstein feel to it. Mm-hmm. Like just the whole the whole scene where they're opening up the coffin at the very beginning and they're trying to get the chest from the from the corpse and the corpse does not want to let go. Right. Yeah. And that whole "I'll be rotting for you" graveyard humor. Yeah. Yeah. That. That was total Mel Brooks right there. Oh, yeah. I loved it, but it was clear <laughs> to me. Number two. I, I'm just going to say it like this. Okay. Sushi. Huh? I said, okay, we'll do sushi. No. <laughs> flaming tube. Oh, uh, the flaming tube. Yeah. <laughs> that was yes. classic. Yes. I'm not sure where that reference actually came from, but having played sousaphone and tuba in high school, I loved it. I mean, that that noise, the sound is totally appropriate. Oh, yeah. Right? Because it's got that monster movie feel to it, but you just dial it up to 11 with the flaming tuba. Yeah. Honestly, that felt like something, it, it felt like something that should have, it felt like it came out of Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. It, it, like, but in a good way, like it fit in that world. It just seems like the kind of thing that you would see in just a super weird situation like that. It just, I don't know. I, I, I liked it, but it, and it fit. But at the same time, there was this part of me was wondering why this was the first time I've seen this. Okay. Felt like I should have seen it like a hundred times already in so many other in so many post-apocalyptic movies or something, you know. According to the MCU wiki, uh, he's a tuba player who plays for Ulysses Bloodstone's monster hunting group Rituals. Ah, so it's a com- so it's com- a comic accurate situ- uh, character. Maybe I'm trying to find more reference. How do you put that on a resume, Ritual Tubist? You don't. You just put flaming tuba. Okay. I mean, it's just sort of like how you become a monster hunter. It just happens. Maybe he's just interning. You know, the monster hunters have interns, and you play the flaming tuba. There you go. I, I can just see, I can just see him sitting there going like interviewing for like, oh, it's not very complicated. You blow one note and you push button on tuba that makes it flame. Very cool. <laughs> it could have been better. <laughs> They could have used a flaming bagpiper. It's on YouTube. Ah, one wearing fair. Darth Vader helmet, riding the unicycle. Uh maybe the same guy. First time I saw him on YouTube, he was doing uh No, he's Thunderstru- doing Thunderstruck. Yes, yes, yes. I remember that guy now. Okay. Um, I am trying to figure out. It it might have just been something they did for the for the show because I'm not finding any reference otherwise. That's, that's okay because it's just. It's just really cool. Why would you not want that in there? <laughs> it was awesome. But the it's like it, it, it's almost like you were looking at extras and go, "Hey, do you do anything special?" While well, I play a tuba, um, all right, set it on fire and you're in. Here's the fun part. It's played by a gentleman by the name of David Silver. Uh, just want to double check, make sure I had the same person. Uh, uh, mm. Hold on, which if this is the right person, right? 
producer, actor. Okay, yes, it's the same person. Okay. David Silverman is a producer, has been a consulting producer for 344 episodes of The Simpsons, including wow. the Treehouse of, of Horror <laughs> episodes. Okay, that makes sense now. He's also a voice actor. He's also a voice actor on The Simpsons. Um, he was also in Monsters, Inc. doing additional voices. But he is also an animator. Uh, he wrote. He did the storyboards for The Good Art and The Loki and The Force mm-hmm. Awakens from its nap, which are both Simpson one-offs. Um, actually, he's done quite a bit of Simpson one-offs. Uh, he, he was the character designer for Weird Al Yankovic's Money for Nothing Beverly Hillbillies video. Oh, okay. He was quite the hipster. He predicted the Minecraft look before it happened. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, he has a very strong background with, uh, with the Simpsons. And now he gets to put Flaming Tuba on his resume. Yep. <laughs> and I'm sure it's all because of Treehouse of Horror. Of course. That they brought him in just for that, which I think is great. And with what he did, you did not have to be a tuba player to just go, okay, blow the lowest note. Blow, blow a low note and remember that and just repeat it. Right. Yeah. Okay, so my number two is... There is a scene where you first walk into that rotunda, that big chamber, and you're panning around and you see a painting of somebody almost it's like the 319 mark. You see a person. It looks like he's standing on top of a pile of bodies, mm-hmm. but it looks like he's wearing some sort of wolf's head. And I can't help but wonder, is this like some incarnation of red wolf oh okay. during that same shot is when we finally get people talking and the jack is a werewolf what, what's the real name of the werewolf i don't jack russell jack but okay. yeah but they they you never get the full name in the in this show they just call him jack right when when he mentions that he have faced one of the creatures that was stuffed and yeah, mounted. Yeah. Call me ignorant. Who was that? I'd be lying if I said I recognized him. Same I here. That he does not owe me money. Mm-hmm. I'm almost thinking that it was some kind, it, almost like it was Dracula. Could it have been? Because it, it did have the vampire look of like the vampires from Bram Stoker's Dracula. Mm-hmm. As okay, almost a nod to Kenneth Branagh. Kenneth Branagh had done Thor. Uh, I'm trying to see here for. I'm pulling up his article on Marvel.com. Um, now, Dracula does play a part in this story. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it says here the first confirmed manifestation of lycanthropy is Grigory Rusov in 1795. Dracula slays his wife after he refuses to acknowledge Dracula's primacy. Okay. Yeah, let's see. Yeah, I'm not seeing thing. Yeah, I don't see. I don't see it outside of that. But you know, that could be a where that could be a vampire because right. werewolves fighting vampires. It's a traditional trope. Pretty much, yeah. Oh, look at look at the uh, the Underworld series. Vampires like mm-hmm. it, which love that series. Mm-hmm. So, Kylan, you're for two. Uh. My number two is, is this was such a deep dive into an unknown part of the MCU. Um, you know, these characters were not previously introduced anywhere else. Um, like even even though there is a close connection between uh, Werewolf by Night and Moon Knight, you know, uh, in in this iteration. 
there was no mention or anything of any of the characters in the Moon Knight series, nor is there any uh, mention of Mark Spector in uh, Werewolf by Night. Um, you know, we're just brought in, brought in for this ride, you know, and we, and you know, we're told to sit down and just thoroughly uh, immerse ourselves in the story. And that's what happened. And um, it was cool because they gave they managed to give you just enough of what you need to by the end not feel like that you were completely lost in what the heck did I just watch? Uh, and that's quite a feat for a show that is full of unfamiliar characters. Um, but it was uh, I, I I really liked that. You no, know, they they took. So uh, they took stories from, like I said, a largely unfamiliar part of the Marvel universe, and brought it to life, and it it was it worked. It was phenomenal. Right. Uh, from what I am finding, of a few other that could have been uh, Nosferatu. Okay. Yeah. Or or Vlad the Impaler, one or the other. But yeah, it was definitely a vampire. Mm-hmm. I would say probably my fan theory that's Dracula. Right, which helps set up Blade. Right. So number one. I mean, my number one. All the Easter eggs that just we didn't have enough. Doing four takeaways. There's so many other Easter eggs that fit in. Uh, like we ha- we have a few officers of the, the TVA present because they're they're trying to capture Jack in werewolf form. Ah, okay. Those are TVA officers. Is that what those are? Yeah, which helps tie in there. And then the the cigarette burns in in the upper right corner. Yes, which was a nod to when when you're supposed to change change reels. Mm-hmm. And and the, with the old, you know, there was the whole series of cigarette burns. There, it was a code. So right. to see that in the black and white, um, mm-hmm. which I thought was great. Right. Um, the how the Mar the Marvel Studios theme plays ahead of the title card, and it is done in a in a minor key to give it a. a a horror vibe. Uh, it's back to the music and the sound that people should be talking more about. Right. I could go on, but it's it's the, the attention to detail. Right. You, you want to go classic Universal-esque monster vibe, B-movie vibe, but still have the awe and splendor of a Marvel product. We got it. Right. I think we absolutely got it. Oh, I agree. And still yeah. get ties into other, to other projects to group this all in together. My number one, it kind of ties into what you were saying, because this ties into the multiverse. How, you may ask? Because of Man-Thing. What is Man-Thing's task in life? He is the guardian of the nexus of all realities. So okay. it's pretty much, it, we, we, we heard in WandaVision talking about nexus beings. <laughs> And from that point, I was kind of like, okay, so when are we going to see Man Thing? Here he is. Mm-hmm. So this is we. This is not the the last time we're going to see Man Thing. No, no, no. no I don't I, think I so. Mean, I, I won't say we'll see him in Quantum Mania. I'm, I'm almost hoping we see him in in the Agatha Coven of Darkness. It could be in Agatha. It could be in the Avengers with Kang. True. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying there's a multiverse tie-in with Man-Thing. Right. I mean, Man-Thing, has he's fought alongside uh, Howard the Duck. He's fought alongside the Fantastic Four. 
is fought alongside the Avengers. Well, who's to say we don't get another Marvel special presentation that is a Man-Thing one-off, where Jack is the sidekick to Man-Thing. Right. Well, you kind of need you kind of need one, kind of like it, it's there's the Han Solo Chewbacca vibe. Yeah. Right. You don't know what he's saying, but because you see Jack reacting to it, you kind of got the gist of it. Yeah. Man okay. thing is the MCU yeah. Chewbacca. <laughs> Especially now the actor who did Chrysanthem. Yep. Yeah. 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 He, he did, technically, he managed, he, we're hoping that he avoids getting typecast, but you know. <laughs> well, he does Wookiees and Man Things. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, not a thing wrong with that. So, and for a, uh, just to, to echo back to what you were saying very big, with your number four, that is a very, very impressive, not just the costume, but the animatronics that go into his expressions. Yeah. And the nice thing is, is it could all be done remotely with no cables, like in the old days where cables would be run across the set. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To him, it could all be done remotely because the way that suit's designed, he could wear the backpack and everything's right there connected to the backpack. Right, right. And still not be that heavy. Mm. Yeah. So, mm. Kylan, your number one. My number one is just from the the show overall. It was authentically creepy. Um, I mean that that and that was the thing. Like it, um, if if it. If it didn't do its job, I couldn't buy into um, Jack as a werewolf. I couldn't buy into about there being a secret war against monsters. Uh, I, I wouldn't even be I wouldn't be OK with this movie being the film being in black and white. Uh, but the bloodstone is showing in color. Uh, no, you they you had to be able to kind of, you know, get me to buy into all of it, and they did. Um, with the main thing is that overall creep factor of the show. Um, I watched it twice, and that, that and I, I and I came away from it the second time uh, with things I missed the first time around. This show has, to me or for me, high watchability, and I say that as someone who's not a fan of horror films. But this is such a good story. And it was fun, and I enjoyed it, and I loved seeing a comic-accurate Werewolf by Night. I loved seeing a comic-accurate Man-Thing, and just all of it was... Oh, and Elsa Bloodstone. You know, we get Elsa Bloodstone now, and... And and all of this comes from... And we've been wondering how long it was going to be before she made an appearance, because she'd been in Future Fight forever. Right. She's been and in Strike Force forever. Yeah, we, we knew something was happening because, like, and we say it all the time on here, if there's a, an, what appears to be an obscure character... There, there's plans for a character. Uh, we may not know what those plans are, but there's something going on that's going to be going on with that character. And this isn't the last time that we're seeing her either. So, I mean, I understand what those two games, great character to bring out for the holidays, you know, for Halloween. Mm-hmm. But they were, they were still doing other events that were involving her as well. It's like, okay, what's going on? So I'm glad we, we saw yeah. her with this. Um, Me too. Now, I do have a note. Uh, this is from comicbook.com. They said when they were talking with um, Heather Quinn, that she said 
she's the writer of the series, of the show. Uh, Heather says that she and Michael paid attention to two single issue comics in particular while fleshing out the story for this special. Okay. The first was Werewolf by Night, number six, 1873, Carnival of Fear. And then the other big issue was Werewolf by Night, number four, also known or otherwise titled The Danger Game. Makes sense. Uh, and it's a story about uh, Carnival of Fear is basically about Jack getting captured by this kind of magic man who works at a circus, throwing him in a cage and transforming him in front of people uh, and charging money to do so. Uh, Danger Game is a story about a big game hunter who's drawn tired of his latest hunts. Hmm. So hmm. I think those two issues need to be bonus issues for Marvel Unlimited. We'll put them down so we can put them. Up. Oh, yes. Yes. So I'll, I'll, I'll be sure to put them on the picks of the week. Werewolf by Night, number four, number six. Because now it's got my interest, and I'm going to. Any honorable mentions to add, gentlemen? Mine is not so much an honorable mention, but just kind of like an overall reaction. I think this, in my person, in my own opinion, this was possibly the best Marvel thing on Disney Plus. Yeah, I think it. I think it's better than What If. It's better than Falcon and Winter Soldier. Better than She Hulk. Better than Ms. Marvel. Better than anything else, even Loki. Wow, that's high praise, man. Well, I'm well not really because I don't like what they did to Loki. I was gonna say Loki. Loki's still the, the while a lot of people like it, it's still one of the lowest on my stuff. Same Marvel. here. To me, though, this is the best. This definitely overtakes Falcon and Winter Soldier for me, and and that was. I think my top one so far for me, it's still what if just because I was, I was a fan of the comic. <laughs> what, what if it was a, a very, it's almost tied. I mean, we're talking tenths of a point away from yeah. being first. I mean, they're, they're that close. I mean, if it was a car race or a horse race, we'd be looking and see who's not, who, who spit is still connected to the mouth as it crossed the line. Mm-hmm. We're going that deep. Um, but no, I, I would put werewolf by night. Above that, above those two, for sure. Because this was everything else that I've watched Marvel-wise on Disney+. Plus. I've enjoyed some more so than others, but I at least enjoyed parts in all of them. Yes. I did not get goosebumps on any of them. I did not, <coughs> I did not feel exhausted from having watched it in a good way. <coughs> With this, I did. See, I love classic horror films. This... Was perfect. I almost wish Marvel would release release this, even if it was one of those fandom ticket events. Release this on the big screen. Mm-hmm. Put it on the big screen. I'll, I'll pay for one of those one night only fathom event. I would, for this. I would put a caveat on that. I'd be down for that, depending on where they release it. <coughs> if they made an effort to release it in older theaters. Okay. Oh. Old theaters, kind of like the ones that were built like in the 1920s. Yeah. Have been restored. Yeah. Problem is, I don't have any of those here. I know that's the problem. I'm. You could come up here because we've got we've got one that was built in 1927. It's called the Alabama Theater. It's been uh, it's been restored. They they show older movies. I saw the silent version of Phantom of the Opera at this at this theater. And this is where they have the giant Wurlitzer organ that somebody plays while it's while the movie's going. If, oh, cool! If, if you do that, then corporate then say drive-in movie theaters as well. Ooh, okay, okay. There's a drive-in movie theater I, in Lakeland. You know, I could 
I could see that. I, I'll do that too. And if I thought we could get away with it, I would pay the extra money for, for our special meal at the sci-fi dri- drive-in restaurant at Studios to oh, watch dude. it there. Mm-hmm. Dude. Are you listening to this, Robert Chapek? This needs to happen. I don't think it can because of the fact that it's Marvel. We can't do Mar. We can't have the word Marvel in it, even though it's a show. It's a, it would become a Marvel attraction in a manner of speaking. But there's nothing that says we couldn't have had the characters in the park at studios because it doesn't. Because these fall outside of the realm of the Universal contract. I'm just look. I'm just saying. If you have a private event where you just happen to be playing a movie at a dinner event, technically it's not an attraction. Do do I hear the the thoughts rolling for a potential future Mighty Marvel Geeks Halloween-themed event at Disney's Hollywood Studios? (laughs) Ha, ha. Oh, boy. Do you remember we are at the bottom rung of the S.H.I.E.L.D. funding ladder? Yeah. Actually, we're not even on the bottom rung. We're about three rungs below the bottom rung. If the, if we got contacted about that, I, I I would just well, not just my job would drop. I, I I don't even know if that actually even became a thing. That I would be catatonic for like three months. Do, do, do I need to reach out to Agent M with a a, mar, a joint venture with this week in Marvel and us that we need to make this happen at? Dude, dude, if you studios. Dude, if you can make it happen. If you can make that happen, I will throw some extra undies in the back of the escape pod, and I will be on my merry way. I just got to figure out how to make this pitch just right. <laughs> <laughs> because you know me. I put it out there. I'm going to figure out how to make it happen. That you're would like, be such You're a- like Plankton meme. It's like, I don't know. I never thought I'd get this far. It could be a great little Marvel Unlimited member event that's done. Just saying. <gasps> it's not an attraction. If it's a private, it's a private party at this point. Yeah, hosted by Marvel and Mighty Marvel Geeks. Um, I do have an honorable mention. Okay, and I, um, working on trying to get this gentleman on the show as well. Famed Muppeteer, who is also known as the punk rocker in Picard in the Picard series and in Star Trek: The Voyage Home, Kirk Thatcher. His bounty hunter was amazing. And I'm working on trying to get him on Mighty Marvel Geeks to talk about his role in the show and his time on the show. There you go. Because even though he he was not the villain, he was such a great antagonist. Yes. I loved his character. And if you're listening, Hasbro, if you're going to do Marvel Legend characters based on this show, <laughs> Flaming Tuba, Elsa, Man-Thing, and Kurt, Kurt's character. Those are the four must. That'd be the four must in that line. And, and, I, and I think the Build-A-Fig needs to be Ulysses Bloodstone in the casket <laughs> with wind-up action. <laughs> so, Kylan, honorable mentions? None for me, actually. Um, I, You know, I just wish... I, w- I, I wish that we knew something about Elsa's mother. Yeah. Maybe that's something for the sequel. Maybe. And also to, you know, what happened to cause the break between her and Elises. Right. So, uh, we're going to have to have a, a sequel to this. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Either a sequel or a prequel. One or the other. I, I'm tired of prequel. I want sequels now. Yeah, but I wouldn't mind seeing something with Ulysses and his okay. monster hunts. All right. Okay. So, I mean, this is a good original trilogy vibe. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
for for the monster part of the MCU. I have no no problems exploring the past. I have no problems exploring the future. And could the future lead to the new version of Howling Commands, which is not what I would dumb dumb Duggan. <laughs> and you can have Jack in that, in that, which I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> anyway, um, next week, I think we're going to touch on uh, some of the new trailers that came out because we just ran out of time. So we'll talk. Yeah, we tangented. We'll, we'll talk Ant-Man and Wasp, Quantumania. Um, we'll talk Guardians of the Galaxy, the holiday special. Uh, also, too, along with that, it was announced a couple weeks ago, right? We talked about it uh, briefly, that uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind is getting a holiday soundtrack for the holidays. Uh, I've notated on our Twitter account at Marvel Geeks. We want to hear from you. What holiday songs would you want to hear on Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind Holiday Edition? And we will provide. We will be giving our top four picks as well. And then after next week's episode, we will have those picks uh, available on our Spotify account as the Cosmic Rewind, as the Intrepid Trio, awesome holiday mix mm-hmm. so and we'll, we'll we'll be curious to see when the official announcement comes out or what what the songs will be just how far off were we how many did we get right so i'll say that was another successful countdown gentlemen well thank you thursday uh anything else guys final thoughts Mm-mm. no no done you have to throw a werewolf by night on again monday night for halloween there you go. it's so worth it on that you note, know i have to watch it again to see if there are any warren zevon references because I feel like there should be. Yeah, I I, I loved how the transition had, was very very much a, a nod to uh, American Werewolf in London as well. Yes, very because classic. You didn't see much of it right. actually happening. Right now, <clears throat> and that was Rick Baker who did all that. If I remember so a great nod to, to Rick Baker. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it, if if to say Marvel hit perfection with a project, I think that was perfection. I think that's as close to perfect as I have seen yet. Yeah. So uh, on that note, Thursday, if you would, please. All wrapped up here, sir. Will there be anything else? Um, I think it's time to go dark. Beware of werewolves. Werewolf with a Chinese menu in his hand.